Welcome to the Hypnotic Comic Live Show. Finding that entertainment without meaning isn't cutting it anymore? Do you want to feel deeply connected, yet lifted up into the heights of laughter? You found that place where comedy meets the full expansion of life's possibilities. Now, for your hypnotically comical host, Jenna Grayson! Oh my goodness gracious. Thank you so much. Wow. What an amazing introduction. Uh, you have found us here live on the Hypnotic Comic Live radio show. And uh, if you're not listening live, you can listen uh, through iTunes, iHeartRadio, and we're broadcast internationally, I think like 17 different stations. So we're back up and running. It's amazing to be back. Thank you guys for, for being patient with us after our beautiful and beloved radio station burned down um, completely to the ground very quickly in Paradise, California, Northern California. But um, we're back up and running, and we're super excited. Um, I'm going to tell you about our, our guest here today in just a moment. But before that, I um, want to let you know that as the stand-up comic that I am, that um, – I'm going to be back at the Comedy Store uh, next Friday, January 18th at a 7 o'clock show. I usually go on a little after 8, but tickets generally sell out. So buy your tickets in advance at thecomedystore.com. I'm super excited. The Comedy Store is rocking and rolling. It's just growing. And Dave Chappelle has been there um, recently making some surprise guest appearances, which is making me feel good about my place in the in the world right about now. <laughs> So thank you guys so much for joining us and for your patience as we uh, have come back and we're, we're back and running and we'll be we'll be doing the regular 12 o'clock noon show every week uh, on Monday again. Today, our amazing guest, which, who I am super honored and grateful to have on the show today, is the best cannabis attorney in Los Angeles, Bruce Margolin. And Bruce Margolin is, um, he's a medical marijuana lawyer in Los Angeles, and he's successfully defended many individuals charged with cannabis-related criminal offenses. And I'll say here and now, that includes me, Jenna Grayson. I'm coming out of the closet. I'm an ex-con. Uh, as, and as a leading California criminal defense attorney, Bruce Margolin has dedicated his practice to helping individuals fight marijuana-related charges, which historically have been some really serious offenses over the years, even for minor offenses. And that's um, my case as well that we'll be talking about some more today. Um, Mr. Margolin continues to support the legalization of marijuana and has made quite a bit of headway, we could say in our state of California, and is actively involved in the fight for legislative reform regarding marijuana laws. He takes pride in spearheading progressive legal reform for medical marijuana industry, as well as uh, properly appropriately educating the public and its clients on the ever-changing cannabis laws, especially those regarding both the state and local licensing issues, which is 
um, again, something that I really went through and, and, uh, was a really, um, incredible experience, uh, 10 months of my life. So thank you so much, Bruce, for all that you've done for me and for so many others and, and, in your, um, efforts to defend us and keep us liberated. Um, I'd also love to add that we'll be chatting with Bruce um, about his journey, his spiritual journey, as he was a direct disciple of Neem Karoli Baba. Um, so there's many others that are well known, in the, especially in the Los Angeles area, um, like Ram Dass, Jay Utah, Who's the other Das? Krishna Das, our other um, direct disciple. So thank you so much, Bruce Margolin, for joining us today on the show. That kind introduction is an honor and pleasure to speak to you. And it's a pleasure <laughs> to speak about uh, the laws and trying to educate people to keep them out of trouble because no one belongs to jail for marijuana. And beyond that, we can right. talk about the, the new hat that I'm wearing regarding obtaining licensing for people that a year ago or two, we were going to prison, and now they're getting licenses for the same activity, uh-huh. which makes me pleased to see I can help them stay out of trouble, and not only that, uh, possibly make a good living. Most of them are doing very well. That's great so, to hear yeah, the time. That, so like, again, it's a pleasure. By the way, the hypnotic um, um, comedy store, like that, the comedy store is a dot .com. Is that what you're on? Yeah, the comedy store is dot .com. You can get information there. Good. I'm looking forward to listening to some of your work. Okay, thank you. Sure. So thank you so much for joining us. And um, can we start by sort of rewinding the tape and your journey and looking at um, how you were... I would love to begin by talking about how you were um, a direct disciple of Neem Karoli Baba and how that experience might have affected your... Uh, interest in law and getting into specifically marijuana or plant medicine, uh, defending the, what I would say, the earth medicine. So were you with Neem Karli Baba back in the 60s? No. I mean, first of all, I'm not a disciple. I'm a devotee. Okay, that's number one. Number two is my career started in 1967, and I came out of law school at a time that was very relevant to the defense of criminal cases in particular and marijuana cases. I was 25 years old, started getting a lot of marijuana cases as a young lawyer, and I was very much on on game with constitutional law, top of my class in law school, and I was dedicated to defending people in trouble. And of course, when I saw the marijuana laws, how outrageously terrible they were, draconian, putting young people in jail with robbers and rapists, I was shocked. And so uh, I was very successful, the very beginning of my practice as a young lawyer, I had by the time I, uh, I will get into that in a moment. But anyway, when I started out, we had laws in the United States of America providing for the suppression of evidence when police officers violated the constitutional rights of defendants, okay? Mm-hmm. And at that time, it was very politically correct for the judges to get right in their face about violating the law and suppressing evidence. And the cops themselves were just not aware of the laws. For example, one law in particular that required them to knock, give notice, and explain their purpose before they kicked the door in, they didn't know what that was. And I would take you know, two cases daily. I would just get cases this all day long. And my practice loomed to the, to the highest you could imagine. By the time I was in practice three years, I had staff of eight lawyers and had 20 employees. 
That was mm-hmm. very, 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 very successful. Also, mm-hmm. one of my first cases involved a hippie house where about 20 people were busted, and I represented all of them in those days. And one of them ended up a day for reckoning in front of an old-time judge. And that judge, I said, Judge, you know, I just came out of law school some time ago, Your Honor, and I'm informed that under the American Bar Association standards of punishment, it needs to be based upon the intended wrong. What can you say about this young man that justifies putting him in jail for being involved with marijuana? Where's the intended wrong? Where's the harm involved? Where's the intention involved to hurt somebody? It just doesn't exist. He looked at me and rubbed his beard a couple times, looked down at me. Well, young man, he broke the law. I thought, my God, I guess I'm not going to answer my problem in this courtroom. I better go on the political scene and try to change the laws. So I started an organization in 1968 called CAMP. They campaigned to abolish the marijuana prohibition. Mm-hmm. And it became very, shall we say, popular amongst our kind of people. Not only in California, but Florida, other places picked up the name, and we had chapters in numerous places throughout the United States. And I ran for office against a 26-year incumbent Republican in West Hollywood, Hollywood area, up all the way to Ventura County Line, a very rich district. I won the primary on legalization of marijuana, and I almost beat the sucker by less than 5%. I was in practice for 26 years. He said he was a state assemblyman in, in that district. And that woke up a lot of people about how important this issue was. And as a result of that, what's called the Berman Waxman machine, which were very good guys, they picked up the the, uh, the, uh, the idea to run for office themselves, of course, to beat him the following year. But in the meantime, in the midst of all these cases I was handling, and I was doing 100 kilos cases a day, you know, I was running from one courthouse all over the state to the other. And one day, I remember one time, I had a private airplane, went from L.A. to Ventura, to San Luis Obispo, to San Francisco, all in one day, defending people in that particular day and time back in 1960, 1969, 1970. Mm-hmm. But along the way, while I was running for office, I heard Baba Ramdas speak about his adventures in India. Baba Ramdas, <clears throat> what many people might not know about him, he was a Harvard professor, the head of the psychiatric department at Harvard. He met Timothy Leary, who was also on staff with the interdiction of mushrooms. And the result of those mushrooms and taking LSD, uh, him and Leary put out a program at Harvard, authorized by the school, to do research regarding LSD. And that research included involving the graduate students only. And in turn, they did a lot of experiments with taking acid with them and with all, a lot of other people, including prisoners, and uh, religious people to see the effect on them. But ultimately, apparently, one in particular um, undergrad somehow got into the program or got asked somebody and finished them off. And both Bromdoss, Richard Alpert, Dr. Richard Alpert, required from Harvard and Leary quit. They, in turn, moved to northern New York and had a beautiful home given to them by a very wealthy person to continue with their efforts. And they took a lot, a lot of ass. I mean, unbelievable mm-hmm. amounts. But yeah. a lot, a lot of people. 
And Ram Dass kept thinking to himself, you know, we get high, but we keep having to go back down. Going up and going down. Go to heaven and go back to earth, you know? Mm-hmm. And he got depressed. Mm-hmm. And finally he decided he too would go to India like so many other people had done, talking about the great experiences that might have been in that three to them. Yeah. And while in India he met a young guy from Laguna Beach who was only like 20 years old or 19 years old, had been in India for several years. And he in turn took him to his Baba, who turned out to be Neem Kodi Baba. Yeah. And Ram Dass had no part in this Baba business. He was kind of a Buddhist, kind of leaning. He didn't like this, uh, this all the gaudiness of Hinduism. But when Maharaj met him and told him about things that happened to his life in the past that completely blew his mind, for example, he said he knew the night before it came to see him, he was looking up at the stars thinking about his mother and Kodi Baba knew that his mother died from spleen. He even said that word to him, died from spleen. Mm-hmm. Well, that totally confused uh, uh, Richard Albert to the degree that he broke down and started crying to figure out what was going on here. And ultimately, he became a devotee of Kodi Baba, spent five months there with one of his devotees who helped train him in proper eating methods, yoga, and it's such as it's offered by the Indian philosophy and the Indian culture. And he came back to the United States and lectured about this. And while I was running for office, I heard him lecture, and it really struck home to me. Because even though I had a great success at a very young age, 29 years old, I felt that I had missed something in the world as far as the meaning of ultimately what are we doing here and why, and what's important about what we are, we live our lives. And I do ended up going to India ultimately after a trip to different parts of the world on, a, on, a, on, a, uh, on an adventure that I went on and left my practice for a period of time that was not announced. I just left. And while I was gone, when I got to India, I went to a course on meditation. I went on by a meditation master by the name of Goenka, which is Vipassana meditation. And while I was there, I found out that, lo and behold, Baba Ramdas had taken the same course five times in a row. Okay. And I mentioned that to uh, to uh, uh, to Goenka that I had gotten a book from my psychiatrist, by the way, that I had seen before I went to India, because I wanted to check in with seeing if I was nuts or what. He told me that where I was going, he wished he was going with me. He gave me "Be Here Now." Just came out, which is a book about Richard Alpert. Transformation from Richard Alpert to Baba Ramdas. And Goenka said, if you see Ramdas, give him a message for me. I said, how am I going to see Ramdas? I thought she was biggest in India, you know? Mm-hmm. Sure enough, I checked out the hotel room the next day, and there he was on the roster. Mm-hmm. So I left him a note, saw him the next day. Beautiful seeing him. And then after I finished you know, giving him my pranams, he said, what are you doing now? I said, I don't know. As far as I'm concerned, this is the epitome of what I hoped I'd ever experience to meet someone like you. He said, I'm nothing. It's, it's Neem Karoli Baba. has got all the power. I'm just a reflection of it. I'm not him. He's 30 miles from here. I would take you there tomorrow. I'm going down there. Oh, my God, this is too crazy. So, but he said, no, you better go down there tonight because you might not be there tomorrow. Who knows? So I went down and saw Maharaj. And I spent time with him in Vrindavan. With about all the gang you just mentioned, Krishna Das and, and uh, the rest of the gang, 
there were a lot of Americans there that I related to very, you know, very closely because they're a bunch of New York Jews smoking weed. Well, how bad could it be, you know? <laughs> so, um, okay. so ultimately, I stayed with uh, uh, right a short period of time, stayed in India for another couple of months or so, and finally came back to my practice, came back to America. And one thing that stuck to me is what I had heard the Baba say, that if you have a boon, a boon is what they call power, you know what I mean? If you have a boon to help others, you should use it. So I decided to go back to practice the law, particularly because I got a call from Ram Dass and Art Cogton, who was the head of the free press, and other people, that Timothy Leary got busted from escaping from prison and caught in Kabul and brought back to the United States to face charges of escape from prison. Wow. He went to prison because he had a couple ounces of weed in Laguna Beach, and the judge there sentenced him to state prison, notwithstanding the fact he was a 50-year-old college professor, psychologist, well-known in his field, because he had written an article in the Free Press saying that there's a responsibility that drug dealers should have to their to their clients by way of taking the drug with them, being their guide while they do it, etc. And the judge interpreted that as encouraging drug distribution, drug use, and gave him state prison. And he escaped from prison by the help of the weatherman, climbing over a fence and giving him a new identification and going off to Algiers and then Switzerland and finally getting busted to Kabul. And now he faced prison again, not only for the original sentence, it was five years, by the way, possession of marijuana was a felony, punished by zero to five years if you didn't get probation, and you could be kept for five years depending on the institution's decision about when to release you. So, to make a long story, he escaped, he got caught, and I came back to work to represent him in the trial against uh, him for escaping. Is that right? And, was, and so, after I finished that trial, which I could talk about for two hours right now, but I'm not going to, I went back to my practice of law, and since then I've been dedicated continually with my efforts not only to defend cases, but to to change the laws. And I've been very effective in doing that by continuing to run for office, including Assembly, U.S. Congress, Governor of California, all on the marijuana legalization platform. And each time, getting very high ranking in the people that were running, even though I'm not a, a, a professional politician, and people took notice. I've also been the head of, of NORML, the National Organization for Reform of Marijuana, since 1973 here in Los Angeles, where I formed this organization here and have been uh, the spearhead of this uh, legalization movement in Southern California. And in turn, I gave up this organization called CAMP, which they asked us to do to join NORML on a national level. And so I'm very proud of my efforts, and I'm very proud of the fact that we legalized this sacred herb which now everybody understands what we were talking about in the 1960s and 70s, about right. the value of this, this beautiful substance that the Lord has given us, the Divine Mother, and how right. important it's not only for the right that people make that choice for themselves, but the medical value of it can't be denied any longer. Yeah. And I feel not only is it important that we have the right to make that decision for ourselves, but of lately I've been thinking about the way this country is going and the way people are the environment by way of, of killing plants, killing all the things that are valuable to us, that this is a new beginning with saving this plant.
was proliferating around the world as people have become aware that the laws that were in place at the behest of the pharmaceutical companies in California, United States were wrong, inappropriate, unfair, unjust, and denial of people's right of freedom of choice. And in some cases, that we know from India, it's a freedom of religion. Because is right? it, is, it is their sacrament, and that's how I treat it, and that's how I think of it. So I'm, I'm very, feel very proud and very rewarded that I played a part in that. Absolutely, yeah. So uh, this, yeah. Is my, this is my little story about that, that business. And beyond that, as I mentioned earlier, I'm in the midst of, you know, not only defending criminal cases again, like I've done since 1967, everything from marijuana to murder, I'm proud of it. And about mm-hmm. like just today, I got a manslaughter case dismissed out of San Diego. And also I was in court on another kid that got busted for running a dispensary illegally at eight counts of uh, a violation of the local Proposition M, which is our local regulations, the thing you can't run. Dispensary's got that dismissed today. And that feels good because when it comes to marijuana use and marijuana activities, I'm particularly, shall we say, emboldened by the concept that they deserve a real break. And when anybody gets in trouble, having a good criminal defense alerting can make a big difference, okay? And, and if you know the history of my, my successes, you'd know that's true. And matter of fact, I've defended more marijuana cases than any lawyer in the United States of America. I'm very proud to say that. And I appreciate this opportunity to talk about these things that I've done since I began my practice way back in 1967. I've had a lot of interviews like this. I have a lot of opportunity to spread the word of uh, the sacredness of this herb and the laws of being so unfair and unjust and irrational and denial of, of the human rights. So that's what we stand at the yeah. moment. With Thank that, you so much, Bruce. Yeah, I appreciate so much. Hang on just a second. So listen, I I want to just say, give you some appreciation and say thank you so much for all that you have benefited all of us, as well as how much you've benefited the, the plant, the herb, the earth. Um, and, you know, when I worked with you directly, um, I was married at the time, and my husband and I chose to hire you and work with you both because we knew you had this incredible reputation of representing people effectively as well as really standing behind the sacredness of the plant with your heart and and soul as opposed to just an opportunity to be a lawyer, you know, the things that we tend to think about with lawyers where they're just out to make money. Making a buck, right? Making a buck, Yeah, yeah. We knew your heart and soul was in it. We knew knew you were... devotee, as you said, of uh, Maharaji, and that, you know, we were both interested in the spirituality that's come out of India as well, and and that sort of holistic perspective of spirit being a part of all of life and worthy of being recognized in that way, and I really appreciate the way that you're um, sharing today, both, you know, the activism that you've offered to humanity to keep us liberated. in more than one way and uh the name of the show today is on liberation and law so you know i love the idea that you represent liberation on on you know several different levels it's not just the liberation from being incarcerated um which you definitely helped me with personally um but also that space of liberation of our hearts and our truths and our souls and and what we're here to do and the freedom to be human and in harmony with nature itself. So 
so I know that to be true firsthand with you, you know, not only reading all of your um, success stories and, and the past, um, I want to say 50 years, is that is that right? Yeah, From the, I think it's 52 I, years, matter of fact, it's my 52nd yeah. year of practice, and I'm proud of it. Now, That's impressive. I remember At the age of 29. My first, when I first time I practiced it, a lot of Mexican clients, they come in and say, you know, uh, Mr. Margot, we use the marijuana because it helps us when we have back pain, we put compresses on our back. I thought, oh, I thought that was a joke, okay? I yeah. thought they were just trying to use their, their, their weed, you know? Right. And, but I've certainly learned that over the years, at the behest of a lot of friends and patients like Jack Herrera, who was very, did a lot of research on it, and other people about hemp and marijuana, that it, it is such a wonderful uh, gift from the Divine Mother. And it really, it, for me, I see it as a constitutional right of the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's in our constitution. I think the choice of using um, cannabis is fits into all those categories. Life, because it extends your life, it keeps people healthy. Liberty, the right to use it, and the pursuit of happiness. It's all part of the picture when people make that choice. If they wish to do that, they should have a right to do that. So with that said, um, the laws right now are very, uh, still much in, in uh, shall we say, in flux. Particularly yeah. when it comes to hemp. Right now right. we just had a farm bill passed, but it seems to be something else that's a typical way that we're all confused about what, how it works, how it's, how it's going to be fleshed out, what they're going to allow, what they're not going to allow. And then also we have these licensing laws regarding the business of cannabis, which I'm involved with a lot of clients and getting them licenses. But each mm-hmm. city and county in California has their own autonomy to decide what licensing they will allow I see. and under what circumstances and where they're going to, what zoning laws. It's kind of a mess, you know? Yeah, it's so the, complicated. Yes, it is. But I, I, I'm uncomplicated. As a matter of fact, while we're talking, if anybody wants to know what the laws are and know what's happening, they can go online at my website at 420laws, that's 420laws.com, and read my guide on marijuana laws, which is right on the front cover. Just click on the on that guide, and you'll read all about the um, the laws and how they play out, including the current marijuana laws. And by the way, it's not all legal, okay? You understand? We are right. pretty... Is it that way? I don't think they can even call it legalization. Probably better call it regulation, okay? Okay. Yes, you can right. have an ounce of weed, uh, and you can possess it. You can give it away, and you can grow up to, up to six plants, and whatever you grow, you can keep. That's part of what your rights to keep are over the ounce. But other than that, it, there's not much going on here, okay? Uh, and six, six plants can grow a lot if you grow outdoors, but indoors is a big hassle. So mm-hmm. most people really can't take the time or effort to grow it themselves. So it doesn't really help a lot of people. So and what about have, the dispensaries? How many plants are they allowed to have? Well, first of all, dispensaries are, are typically, uh, does, they don't grow the marijuana themselves, okay? They have to get it to a distributor. And it's got to go from the, from the, from the uh, cultivator to the distributor. It's got to be identified as being organic and make sure there's nothing in it that's going to hurt anybody, which I think is bullshit too, but that's beside the point. Mm-hmm. And then from there, then these dispensaries can purchase it from the distributor who collects the taxes on it, and then they mm-hmm. can sell it. So okay. it, it, most uh, most counties and cities don't allow 
the dispensary to grow it themselves. It has to be a separate person who does that. So there's licensing in all different kinds of uh, categories, in California in particular, which mimics many other states that have legalized it. And, um, for example, um, the licenses include cultivation, different uh, outdoor cultivation. They have especially indoor small product, small um, licensing. They have uh, they have uh, indoor medium licensing. They have cultivation licensing. I just made manufacturing, testing, retail sales, distribution, and required on Prop 64. And uh, uh, and so uh, there's about 12 different licenses that are offered under Prop 64, which is the California legalization law that passed in 2016. It became the law uh, in, in, that, uh, in uh, December when the same time Trump was elected. It was kind of a shock <laughs> when I was partying downtown Los Angeles with the LA Times there and looked at the screen and saw it turn all red and said, what the hell's going on here, you know? We were happy about legalization, but we certainly weren't happy about Trump and his attorney general then that was, you know, definitely not going to help us uh, protect yeah. people's opportunity to have access to it. But When you said it turned all red, did you, Bruce, did you mean that, the, when you said that, this, that it turned all red, did you mean that it turned orange? Right it here? turned Republican. <laughs> On the screen, you know what I mean? All the states turned red. Yes, I understand. Terrible. Couldn't figure out what was going on. That was my effort at making a joke on the, at the uh, risk of Trump's well-being. I hear you're thinking of good jokes. I know you're you're a comedian. I know you're funny. (laughs) The only thing I can think of for a joke is one time I read in Playboy magazine. Oh, God. You see two cops walking down the street. And one says to the other, "You ever tried marijuana?" And yeah. the other one said, "Yeah, I did." He said, and "The other one said again, did it make you want to rape and kill too?'" Yeah. That's what people thought it would do, make you want to rape and kill, you know? That yeah, was there true. was that movie back in the six. Is that a joke? Good job, Bruce. That was amazing. So, um, yeah, I remember there was a movie back in the sixties about uh, reefer madness, reefer madness right? right? Yeah, that would make you oh. go crazy. What do you think it is, like, still today? We know that it makes people really docile and opens their heart and makes them munchy, at the munchies. Why do you think it's so scary for the public or for lawmakers or religious people? Why are people still so afraid of marijuana? Because initially, way, way back when, um, uh, there was, marijuana was um, seen as something that was used by the assassins in the Middle East, okay? Oh, wow. the term hashish referred to assassins, and allegedly they used it before they got to do their duty. Okay, then, wow. of course, it was first of all underlying is all the racial bias towards the perceived users, in particular Hispanic Americans and black musicians. Okay, uh-huh. that's who they saw were the people that used weed, and they were fearful of them and angry at both of them. Black musicians because they were taking the white wives and white girlfriends, okay, and the yeah. Mexicans because there was an issue with uh, the Nazis had offered Mexico uh, an opportunity to get back several states that were seized from the Mexicans in the in nineteen in eighteen forty eight if they would join when they were in their, their fight against America, and even though they didn't concede to it, it was seen as some kind of relationship that people didn't like. So they used that 
more hatred towards the perceived users, including particularly Hispanic Americans. And of course, the word marijuana is a Mexican word, okay? Now, oh, if you look at the congressional record of the things that went on at the time that they instigated these laws to make it illegal, and by the way, we're talking about prison, was the remarks made by the people that were in those congresses and state assemblies and, and uh, et cetera, are talking about the Mexicans that use the weed, and we've got to keep it down, we're going to keep it horrible. It's all very clearly based on this prejudice against the perceived users. That's number one. Number mm-hmm. two, along the way, there was a couple of trials that went down where some kids were charged with murdering somebody, and they said they were only supposed to marijuana at the time, and somehow mm-hmm. they won their case, and that spread like wildfire regarding mm-hmm. uh, the fact that marijuana caused people to want to rape and kill, okay? Wow. And then beyond that, we had a lot of institutions that were very concerned about <coughs> marijuana competing with their, <coughs> their profit-making. One is the pharmaceutical companies. And before right. we made it illegal, I heard, recently heard something like 70% of the, of the different kinds of, of medicas, medications that were on the market had marijuana and cannabis in them, okay, because it's very effective, as you may well know. And then finally, uh, besides the pharmaceutical companies, the Hearst Corporation had a, um, a um, patent on paper pulp, and they didn't want to have it compete with the hemp paper, okay? Right. So they were behind some of the <clears throat> yellow journalism regarding how terrible marijuana was and how dangerous it was and how uh, it's used by these people that we don't like anyway and uh, encouraged somebody to pass these draconian laws that put unfortunate people, even like yourself, in jails and prisons, destroyed their lives, destroyed their families, took away their ability to make a living and be part of society. Even today, the federal government is taking away people who can't get uh, loans for schooling because they have a marijuana conviction and things like that. All that went down for the last 100 years since 1915 in California was the first bust. So now 100 years later, we're finally overcoming this terrible laws that were so misguided, so unfortunate that we have lived through them. That's right. Now, and it's still, considered, it's still considered a Schedule One drug along with it is. And then, it is. Right? But there's hopes yeah. with the Democratic Congress and the fact that uh, it's pretty much a, a losing battle for the, the right-wingers and the conservative people because you know why? Their uncles and their aunts and their cousins and their kids are using it for medical purposes. And they can't be denied that, okay? Mm-hmm. And they, they also are now becoming to wake up to the reality that it is a it's something that really people have a right, should have a right to be able to choice, choose for themselves. And so if we're going to win this battle. It's not long away before the feds will fold. When? I can't say, but I expect to soon. We got rid of this guy Sessions, as you know, was the attorney general. He yeah. said that he didn't like marijuana because because people like the Ku Klux Klan used it. And matter of fact, if they didn't use it, he'd be a member of the Ku Klux Klan. This is the kind of attitude he had towards marijuana, okay? Oh, and so God. he's out of the picture at the moment. And hopefully we'll have more enlightened people in the office, and they will not stand in the way of what's just and fair and right. So we'll continue working on it. And normal, which I encourage uh, your listeners to uh, 
participate in our activities. It's called the National Association for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. We've been in uh, fact in business since 1973. It's a nonprofit corporation. There's no money to be made here. And it's um, what we do is we educate the public and we help them bring action to their legislators by giving them information about what they can do depending on what bills are being presented and what bills could be brought before their uh, their legislators. And, uh, of course, we're obviously encouraging people to uh, vote in favor of people that have the insight to know these laws are unfair and both the ones that basically support legalization and uh, et cetera, et cetera. So please consider joining Normal, N-O-R-M-L dot org. And uh, also, if you have any questions about anything that's going on, and you as well, I can be reached at 1-800-420-LAWS.COM in my office, which is my my website. And my telephone number is also 1-800-420-LAWS. So that's a free call if anybody wants to talk to me, okay? Beautiful. Thank you so much for that. You're welcome so much. Mr. Mark Golan. So I I would love to chat with you. You know, I ran into you um, at a social event. Um, right up in up in up in, uh, in um, Ohio, right? Yeah, <laughs> I ran into you in, in Ohio, and we had a good chat. And you know, it's something that I've been wanting to to talk with you about on this show for people huh? to hear about too is the relationship. It's kind of a complicated question within me, so I'm going to do my best to to speak it and put words to it. But the relationship between your spiritual journey marijuana itself and then also the um and i feel like you've done that so far talking about your spiritual journey and and the relationship with marijuana and and how it is really a sacred plant as a gift from the divine mother gift from the earth that is a a healing medicine that when used appropriately or used medicinally it um can really be a tremendous healing powerful uh help and support and that's been my my journey with it, you know, why I came into it um, in the relationship that became my marriage. And I was in a really deep depression and um, I couldn't find my way out even with pharmaceuticals. And I found with um, marijuana that it lifted the depression to such a profound degree that, you know, I felt a state of bliss and love and union and, you know, many spiritual qualities that we're seeking through practices like yoga and meditation and trips to India, which now I've been to India three times and, you know, I have my own spiritual teacher out there as well. And I still find that marijuana as a medicine um, really puts me in these elevated states where, you know, in contrast to the idea of it making us murderous and robbing, I I find and I have found through the many years of my practice and experience with the medicine, which it clearly is, that it opens the heart it connects people on a deeper level and connects us to um, our acknowledgement or recognition of our connection to the earth. And so, you know, I think the people who are working with plant medicine sometimes get a bad name that, you know, people are hippies or they're just in this la-la land that people who are in the legislative world, in the legal world, that they can't relate to. And I remember the day when I was arrested and I literally had uh, four guns held to my head after I watched the door being 
pounded down in a place where we were trimming plants. Um, so you got your stuffers do it, you know. I know, and I, I, I did. I, I can't. I went to India again this year. I've been there six times. But I went with my yeah. daughter, my daughter Madison, who's oh, a good. she's a very well-known writer. If you want to look her up online, she writes for you know all the different magazines. Matter of fact, this month she has a five-page article in Playboy. And she writes for Playboy, High Times, Village Voice, uh, the, the Daily Deal, the, all these different programs, all about marijuana-related act, uh, events, okay? Great. And uh, you should check her out online. Her name is Madison Mark Golden. Cool. Uh, I know your daughter, Allison, as well. Uh, is yes, highly Allison, involved. I'm very proud of her, too. She went to Columbia undergrad, graduated Magnum Club Law and in Harvard Law School. And she's a kick-ass lawyer and really doesn't quit. I'm very proud of her. And my son. Uh, he's going to, he's been going to UCLA Law School, and now this semester he's going to Hastings just for one semester just to be up in San Francisco. So mm-hmm. I'm very proud of him, too. And Maybe. so I'm very blessed with beautiful children. I've got another daughter named Ariel. She's only 13 years old, and mm-hmm. she's a good student and a good kid. And so um, I've been very, very uh, blessed myself to have an opportunity to be involved with changing the laws, and involved with people like yourself that really turn me on to things like Baba Ramdas and the spiritual use and yoga. Way back when I became a lawyer, these kids didn't uh, have money, so they would give me their Dharma talk and, and really turn me on to a new way of thinking. And I feel so blessed by that. And instead, it's kept with me all these years. As a matter of fact, this last year I just got, I was mentioning, I went with Madison and was doing an article on the use of the sacred herb by the Babas in the same the sadhus in India. So mm-hmm. we went out to the country and met a lot of uh, sadhus and smoked herb with them and talked about the, the, how they saw it. It was a beautiful experience. And uh, it's just, uh, to me, it's something very special in this world. And I'm seeing that we're protecting it and honoring it. And I hope that we can continue to find out its attributes more and more. Matter of yeah. fact, Thailand just legalized marijuana. And right? for medical purposes, and the supplier right. is Israel. Israel is doing a tremendous amount of work and investigation of the medical effects and the attributes, and has done for years. And they're showing things about this plant that no one ever suspected the abilities that can help us in our in, in our in our life. Now I'm not here to promote marijuana. I'm promoting the idea that people should have a choice to use it or not. That should be their freedom. Okay. And I promote the idea that the more studies we have, the better it is for everybody to be aware of the use of it, how it affects people, how it might be some some cases not not good for some people. Okay, not mm-hmm. everybody has the same uh, say constitution to use marijuana and find it to be effective in a positive way. Some people get paranoid behind it, and eating it can be dangerous because. You don't know the effect of eating it until you take some time before you, it comes into your system. We've got to mm-hmm. educate people not to start munching on a nice candy bar that turns out so good. And when they start eating it, they say, oh, what tastes good. You know, but I don't feel anything. Eat more and more than they're all AFU, you know, all messed up. And so, <laughs> yeah, but there's no real danger in terms of like what they're going to do to themselves or another people, another person or committing crimes it's not like it's dangerous you just get you just get really high and end up going to sleep but it's not like you can overdose on eating it 
No, you Is can't it? buy from, you can't buy from it either. But right. you have to be cautious about driving and things of that nature because okay. when you're, if you're impaired, it's illegal, and it should be if you're impaired. Now, driving under the influence of marijuana is not a crime unless you're impaired. Impairment means you're unable to operate a motor vehicle safely, okay? Okay. And so but the fact that you have THC in your system alone is not a basis to convict somebody for a DUI case in California. Now, some mm-hmm. states, like Utah, they have a, a um, ceiling of five nanograms of uh, THC in your blood is a conviction, just like 08 or above is for alcohol. Okay. But California okay. doesn't have that. Now, part, mm-hmm. I'm going to go back and plus something else. Then we talked about all the detriments that people have experienced with yeah. the effect of these laws that were in place since 19, 1915 in California and 1937 federally. Okay. It's a destroyed people. But Prop 64, our new legislation, provides for people, if you have been convicted of a marijuana case, we can go back to court now and bring it to the court again and retroactively. If that activity was legal now, then that record is destroyed and you get reduced to a misdemeanor or a case that's dismissed entirely. Also, with these licensing laws that we have, it's called equitable licensing, okay? They're trying to bring equity back to the community that people got hurt the most. So in some of these zones in California, particularly in Los Angeles, the the people suffered most from the drug laws that destroyed their communities by people have been going to jail and destroyed their family, those people have a leg up to get a license in advance of others. They get a, because it's called equitable licensing laws, which help people that have been convicted not only to get rid of their records, but have an opportunity to get into licensing business and, and be active in the, uh, the marijuana uh, business, cannabis business laws, okay? Yeah. So we're doing our best to try to make things with men and, uh, Amend for the, the wrongs that, that, that happened to people. But right. along the way, so many people have been destroyed. Hundreds of thousands of people have gone to jail and lost their jobs and lost their ability to make a living. It's mm-hmm. been a very sad day and a dark time for the United States of America to not only pass these laws here, but to impose them upon foreign countries as well. That's right. If I, if I recall directly, correctly, we passed a thing called the single convention. Okay, we had a one convention, and that and that and that um, thing was that the American pharmaceutical companies would refuse to allow these foreign countries to get our pharmaceuticals unless they would make marijuana illegal, and that was a terrible blow to people all over the world, particularly in India, especially. Although in India. They still recognize the rights of Saudis and Saints to use weed. As a matter of fact, they give them licensing. They gave wow. them a license. If they qualify as a Saint or Saudi, they can have marijuana. Isn't that funny? That's super funny. I wonder how, what the qualifications are. Like, is it I don't know. Your, Maybe you have, your to walk on, like, you have to walk on water, I suppose. <laughs> so I think it's probably dedication to the to, to the teachings, and, and they probably have a reputation. They probably maybe have people that affirm this person's committed to their to, uh, you know, preserving the teachings of the, the philosophy of uh, of Hinduism, etc. You know, yeah. So, nevertheless, you know, so, and, um, Bruce, I'd love to chat with you. We have just about nine minutes left, and yes. I would love to open up some space. Thank you. You and I, when we spoke with each other, we talked about um, the future of psychedelics 
I want to say other plant medicines um, becoming legal in the next five years. You had said that you believe that that's going to happen, and I'd love to hear. Yeah, what makes you say that, and what you think the implications on Good, the I'll give, you, I'll give you one example. Yeah. This article that my daughter wrote for uh, Playboy, I think it was recently, a Playboy magazine five-day page article, was about how drugs are going to help heal and bring peace to the Middle East between the Palestinians and the Israelis, okay? Yeah. And how is that? Sounds crazy, right? What yeah. it is is these people are suffering from PTSD, that's post-traumatic you know, stress disorders. Why? Because they're living under the auspices of bombs and killing and all this, okay? So they're they're all messed up on both sides, okay? And the studies for MDMA, according to this article, and by the scientists that help give their information, is that two sessions of the influence of MDMA can end PTSD, okay? For one example. And of course, the use of marijuana is another psychedelic. Actually, it's when it comes to that category, it also brings peace to people's minds and hearts, okay? And this article proposes that unless these people can heal themselves, they can never come to the place to be able to accept uh, the other side as being humans and uh, someone they want to participate in and bringing peace. That's our article. You should read it in Playboy December issue. It's about that issue right there. So okay, more right. and more studies are showing that MDMA, for instance, one of many, that's called ecstasy. And, of course, LSD still has tremendous effects for some people in some circumstances with the right guides, like college sisters, college or other people, to bring people to a place of peace because they open up doors of perception that they never had before. And some of the fears of life go away as a result of seeing things in a different way. And I think that our society and our culture will participate more and more with studies and they uh, will come to a place where they understand these drugs are very effective at people's ability to function in a very complicated, difficult world that we live in. Why do I say that? Just the stress of getting with your cell phone and, and uh, everything else that goes on going so fast in our, in our world, it's so hard to keep up with. People are suffering from nervousness and anxiety that they may have to look to these substances that are really given to us by the divine and for places that are bringing them some peace. That's so right. I think that the psychedelic generation is definitely going to uh, come forward. You know, Tim Scully was known as basically the Pied Piper of LSD, okay? He promoted it, and he encouraged the use of it, and he also spoke before Congress about it. And... Uh, and he was very articulate when saying why he thought it was important that it, it was remained legal, because it was legal all the time that so they were involved with these different um, experiments, these different programs, up until the late, I think it was like the late 60s or early 70s, maybe 75 or something, it became illegal. I don't remember the date it was. But up to then, it was legal. Now, LSD is a very powerful drug, very powerful. And uh, can be uh, very up, uh, very uh, upsetting to people's psyche when it goes through the experience of it. And some people have a beautiful time with it, okay? Right. But it opens towards the perception that uh, people cannot ignore that it's a valuable uh, substance that could be very helpful with persons that are suffering in ways that nothing else can actually help them for. So we're doing studies. There's a thing called MAPS, 
which is a famous organization that has been involved with this for many years. Mm-hmm. And your listeners might want to go online and look them up to find out more about what they're doing and what the latest um, uh, programs are regarding getting legislation to allow the experimentation and the research of, of psychedelics so the purposes of people they have access to it for whatever reason they need or want it. So I see it's going to happen, yeah. Thank you. That's it's, it's, such great yeah. news, and I, yeah. I appreciate so much all of that clarity and, um, you know, the application of, of psychedelics, I think, is, you know, just really something that is important that we have these conversations and look into some of the work and the wisdom that's coming out of these organizations like MAPS. And um, personally, I would love to see, like you were talking about with um, the Palestinians and the Israelis, to get some treatment for their PTSD so that we can have peace in the Middle East. I would also love to see law enforcement have the opportunity to work with some of these healing medicines to overcome some of the PTSD that's causing them to be really reactive and killing right. people as much as, you know, the, the the people that they're trying to control. And I want to remind your listeners again um, yeah. um, is that if they want to know about the laws, they can go on my website at 420laws.com and click right. on my guide. It tells them everything they need to know about the current laws in California, which I want to caution them. You start sending dope out of state, that's a felony in California still. You use a, you use a kid involved with you know, your uh, trimming, you you face up three, five, or seven years in prison. Okay, yeah. you know someone under seventeen years to eighteen years old, that's a, that's a child as far as they're concerned. People could mm-hmm. be in big trouble for that. Okay, so they yeah. better know the laws. They also have to know the laws concerning where you can use weed. You know, I'm fighting right now for on-site consumption licenses, and there's articles about that in my guide that, uh, from L.A. Times, etc. About my efforts because right now. It's illegal to use marijuana in public. It's illegal to use it in your apartment or your condo unless they allow you to. The only place you can use it legally is in your home if you have a home residence. That's not fair or just. So I'm working on those avenues as well to give people the opportunity to be able to participate in that choice for themselves. And again, I want to thank you so much for allowing me for this opportunity to be able to talk about myself, which I love. You know, I often say to people, I say to people, you know, I don't like talking about myself so much. What do you think about me? Yeah, that's right. Enough about me. What do you think about me? Yeah, all right. <laughs> that's right. Anyway. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, Mr. Bruce Margolin. Again, you can reach uh, Bruce Margolin at 1-800-420-LAWS, which is 1-800-420-5297. And I'm appreciate. looking forward. To, I'm looking forward to watch you. Uh, listen to you on uh, 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 Hypnotic Comic Live, and uh, hear some of your right. weed jokes, which I'm sure you're going to come up with for us, aren't you? That's right. Uh, I do a little. Uh, yeah, I do a little. Okay. It's good stuff. It's, All right. Thank you so much, Bruce. It's and great. Just to wrap up. You are beautiful. Oh, you're beautiful. God bless you. you. I hope to see you up in Ohio again. They're going to come back to the most best. I'm going to go up there and camp again this year. So I'm going to get weather right. up. I'm going to go up there and do it. Me so, too. I'll see you there. Look me up. God bless you. And God bless America. God bless America. And happy New God Year. Bruce Mergle and Happy New Year, everybody. You've been listening to the Hypnotic Comic Live Show. You can catch me Friday night, January 18th at 7 p.m. at the Comedy Store. We're going to laugh it up and keep it light and remember what's January important. January 9th. Okay. I look forward no, to it. No, January 18th at 7 January 18th. Okay. 
Is that ComedyStore.com? Yes, sir. January 18th. Okay. Is there a time on that or no? 7 o'clock show, baby. 7 p.m. 7 p.m. ComedyStore.com. And you're going to come up with a good weed joke. Come on. All right. You got it. Just for you, Bruce. Okay. I look forward to it. Okay, lots of love. Thanks for your great work. You're amazing. I appreciate you. You're amazing. And, uh, thank you for your kindness. Thanks Let me for speak all the... I appreciate it. You're and welcome. Bye-bye. And thank you to all our listeners. Bye-bye. Thanks so much.